Welcome to the Global Business Women's Pod, brought to you by the Greater Houston Women's Chamber of Commerce. I am Susan Dyson and proud to be the CEO, President, and Founder of the Chamber. Please join us for this empowering podcast every Thursday at 6 p.m. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our distinguished women driving leadership panelist, CEO, the Women's Hospital of Texas, Gina Bamberg. Executive Vice President, Texas Children's Hospital, Michelle Riley Brown. Executive Vice President, Chief Administration Officer, Chief Legal Officer, Memorial Hermann Hospital, Deborah Gordon. Regional Senior Vice President, CEO, Houston Methodist Woodlands, Debbie Sukin. Associate Vice President, UTMD Anderson Cancer Center, Dr. Elizabeth Travis. Vice President, Sales and Client Management, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Texas, Heather Linton, UTMD Anderson Cancer Center. All right. Well, we could um, we could spend several hours talking about this amazing panel and all of your accomplishments. Um, so, since we don't have hours to do that, let's just go quickly. Um, Gina, I'll start with you and let you all just give a brief introduction of yourself and some of your accomplishments. Sure, good morning. My name is Gina Bamberg. I am the CEO of the Women's Hospital of Texas for the past 97 days. I think today's my 97th day. I have uh, worked in a hospital every day for 31 years since I was 19 years old. I'm very proud to be in my dream job. I really have always wanted to be the CEO of the Women's Hospital of Texas. I'm a wife and a mom. My husband also works in healthcare. We have two kids. Our son is a sophomore engineering student at Louisiana State University, Go Tigers. Our daughter is a senior in high school. She's a band kid, so I'm a drumline mom. Friday night football games, marching competitions, all of that stuff. She will be going to Baylor. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I'm Michelle Raleigh-Brown. I'm president of Texas Children's Hospital, The Woodlands, also executive vice president at Texas Children's. I've been with Texas Children's for 23 years, started off as an administrative fellow and never left. Um, I've had the privilege and good fortune to build Texas Children's Hospital West Campus, Texas Children's Hospital, the Woodlands, and now building our hospital in Austin. And um, I have many members of my teams here today. Thank you for being here. And I am a wife and a mom. I have a 13-year-old daughter. She just turned 13. Can't believe I have a teenager in the house, um, Sarah Elizabeth. And- um, Michelle, you don't know yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's it's I'm just sorry. starting, right? Oh, just wait. I know, I know. Everybody's like, I can feel it. I can <laughs> see it. Um, but it's an honor she's, she's, to- She's still good. Yeah, yeah. it's an honor to be her mom, but I'm happy to be here today. Thank you. Hi, I'm Deborah Gordon. I'm the Chief Administrative Officer and the Chief Legal Officer at Memorial Hermann. I have been with the system since 2014. I moved here from Chicago, Illinois. I have, yes, thank you. Yay, Chicago. So I have a, a husband and I have two teenage boys who are 17. I remember when they were 13 and they were still sweet then. Uh, now they, they, they don't talk to me anymore. Um, <laughs> So I, what I've done over the past couple of years is as they um, progressed from 13, I've replaced them with dogs. So I have three rescue dogs. So when they turned 15 and they were full teenagers, I got one dog. Then at 16, I got a second dog. And now at 17, I got a third dog. So by the time they've like left me, I have like fully replaced them um, with three dogs who didn't actually show love and appreciation to me. <laughs> And now I feel much better about their disdain. Um, 
I've loved every minute of being at Memorial Hermann. It is, um, you know, as obviously as this panel will talk about, it's been a, a great challenge and privilege to work in healthcare for my career. Every day is something that is interesting and heartbreaking and rewarding, and um, it's every day you can sort of feel that impact. Um, it, is, it is not for the weak of heart, um, and it provides wonderful challenges and opportunities for women and women leadership, and I'm excited to talk about that here today. Great. Well, good morning to everyone. I'm Debbie Sukin. I serve as the Regional Senior Vice President for Houston Methodist, where I oversee four of our hospitals, and I'm building uh, a fifth hospital out in Cyprus. I also serve as the CEO here for our Woodlands campus. I've had the great privilege over my last 30 years in healthcare of actually building four hospitals, uh, all here in the Houston community and primarily here in the Woodlands. I'm really proud of the opportunity, as I like to say, to changing healthcare uh, in our community and really having an impact from um, a citywide perspective. Um, I too am a mom. Um, I'm really proud of that. Uh, I'm also a wife. Uh, my husband is a, um, a physician, and uh, my two boys are now 18 and 21, and uh, I really have termed them as sugar and spice, um, and they really give all of that. <laughs> and so uh, it's been an incredible journey, and I too have uh, loved every minute of uh, both roles that I play, both mom as well as uh, the respective administrative roles. And I'm excited to, to talk about some of the things today that regarding uh, mentorship. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, so nice to see all of you. And I want to give a shout out to all the men in the room. Because uh, if there's only women in this room, we're preaching to the choir. And we need you. And we need you to be allies. So we're delighted to have you here. And I welcome you. And I hope you bring more with you the next time we do that. Please bring a male colleague with you the next time. So on that note, I am Elizabeth Travis. I am the Associate Vice President uh, at MD Anderson Cancer Center for um, Faculty Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. And I'm a professor in experimental radiation oncology. I've been in, uh, I always had an interest in science when I was really young, but I also loved to dance, and I was considering dancing versus science, and I figured dancing I would probably starve, I could probably feed myself doing science. So I have been at MD Anderson, I always like to say, since right before, the, right after the dinosaurs were killed off with the big, the big bang. Uh, so I've been there a long time, and I started there as a scientist. I ran a research lab for 20 to 25 years. And in 2005, but I've always been interested in gender inequity in particular. And so in 2005, the institution decided that we were really not doing enough to accelerate the advancement of women, particularly into leadership positions. And so we, um, we had a couple of consultants come in, and they said, it needs to be somebody's day job. And I was ready to hang up my lab coat and make that my day job. So I applied for the position, and I was fortunate enough to get it, and I've been doing that ever since. I kept my lab for five years. That was two full-time jobs. Plus, I was a single mother at the same time. So I gave up the lab, finally, and I uh, have been doing this full-time. We started off as women faculty programs, and one of the first things we did was look at the leadership profile, which looked pretty poor. There weren't very many, many women in leadership. So that was my first goal, was to change that. And in about 10 years, we went from 12% of the leaders were women, we're now 36%. And I won't say it here, but anybody's interested, I can tell you how to do that. It's about being very, very intentional and changing your policies. 
Um, we opened up the office for, uh, to include all minorities uh, and women, and so been doing that since. So I, as I said, I have one child. I was a single mother. And uh, somewhere along the line, when he was about 9 or 10, I thought, you know, he's double digits, and um, you know, I don't want this kid to think he, he has to you know, support me and be, you know, I didn't want him to worry about me when he went away to college. I wanted him to have his own life. So I decided to start dating because I didn't have time for that for all those years before. And uh, met this somebody who was really not a natural fit for me, I might add, but somehow we've been together for 25 years without the benefit of marriage. He had four children. I had one. Hmm, I'm thinking, and they were triplets. There were, there were triplets. You know, I think about it and I think, what was I thinking? But as I said, 25 years later, uh, and on, from his children, we have my stepchildren, we have three grandsons, my son and his family who live here in Texas. I'm the grandmother of three, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a three-week-old. So uh, they are making me a very happy grandmother. Uh, so again, it's a pleasure to be here, and I look forward to talking with you about something that's really important to women and the, the advancement of women. Thank you, Liz. I'm Heather Linton. I'm the Vice President of Sales and Account Management in Houston for our Southeast Texas region. Um, I'm a wife. I'm celebrating my 10th year of marriage next week, and I'm a mom to an 8- and a 9-year-old, and also something I'm really proud of. Um, so <clears throat> thank you all for being here today. I think it's a really exciting conversation that we're going to have, especially focused around um, leading women in the healthcare industry. So Liz, I'm going to go back to you for a second. Um, you were part of the original Greater Houston Women's Chamber of Commerce um, leadership group that put together our allyship program, and then COVID hit, and it kind of fell apart. Um, obviously, healthcare was just really in a crunch during the pandemic. And so we're now in the, in the rebuilding and relaunching of that program. Will you talk a little bit about pioneering into that program and what that was like? Uh, sure, I don't think I have to go through any of the statistics for any of you because in all fields, women are very underrepresented in leadership positions, whether you're in the, you know, in the business side, and that's true you know, in hospitals as well, like, although here you see uh, a lot of powerful women who are in leadership positions in medicine and very, very so pleased to be on stage with all of you. Uh, and it's true on the academic and the med medical and scientific side as well. Uh, so as I said before, you know, we can't do this on our own. I'm tired of preaching to the choir, quite frankly. I do a lot of this. And I'm glad there are men in the room because what we need are allies. And that's what we're gonna talk about today and what it is and how we find it and how you do it. Uh, so as, as uh, has been said, we had uh, you know, COVID hit and things slowed down, but we're ready to build this program to get today. So what I wanna tell you, I, I actually took some notes last night very late, and I just got in from uh, a meeting, actually. Uh, and I want to just tell you, if, I, if you don't know what allyship is and what an ally is, I'd, I'd really like to talk to you about that first. So an ally is someone who actively promotes and uh, adv advocates a culture of inclusion and uh, diversity and excellence through commitment, uh, through uh, positive and conscious efforts. So the one important thing to know about this work, you have to be intentional. Allies are intentional. It's an individual who actively, actively chooses to be an upstander, 
not a bystander. An ally is not a bystander. An ally is a very active uh, position, an active role uh, in contributing to people in marginalized groups. So how do you do allyship? What really does that look like? So allyship is a lot of different things that you can do to be an ally. And the one we're going to talk about today is sponsorship. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so with that in mind, um, Gina, I'm going to start with you. Um, would you share um, what a sponsee might ask a sponsor and what they should be prepared to share and talk about with a sponsor? Sure. So, but first I'll go back to something that Liz touched on. One of the, the most profound books I read that I really, I've read it more than once. I've learned a lot from that and it seems like the, the more I grow in my career, the more I can use the book. It's called Better Allies. And I was gonna bring it today and I can't remember the author, but you can uh, find it. And I would highly encourage you to check that out. So I, I do wanna touch on what I define as a, a sponsorship. To me, it's really phase two of mentorship. So once the mentor relationship is matured and the mentor sees growth and self-accountability and the mentee really at, at the next point, they become more of a sponsor to you. And my research showed that one in five men have a sponsor and one in eight women have the same. So I also read something that I thought was very interesting. It's, it said, sponsors put their name next to your performance. They support you publicly, and they use their reputation to support yours. So that's a gift, right, to have someone like that in your life. So the question is really, what do you ask them, and what do you be prepared to share with them? I think you have to have a, a trusting relationship that is very uh, candid in, in feedback both ways. The things that I would encourage you to ask are, how can I earn your sponsorship? What do I need to keep doing that I'm doing well? And more importantly, what do I need to stop doing that is hindering me from moving forward? Also, a question that I think is quite important is to ask, what, what is the organization's vision for me? What, what are the plans for me? You may not learn everything because the sponsor may be at a different part of the organization than you are and be privy to information that you're not. Uh, what should you share with your sponsor? I mean, to me, it's everything uh, to, uh, about yourself professionally, the opportunities that you're looking for, the things that you feel like you've mastered, the things that you want to, to learn from them particularly would be my answer. Thank you. Love that. Debbie, how about you? Deborah or Debbie? Which one? <laughs> Debbie and Debbie. Okay, I just want to make sure. <laughs> you know, I, I love this question. Um, we are often asked about you know, who, who will be a mentor? What is a good mentor? What should I ask? And, and that, you know, in terms of um, finding that right connection. And from my perspective, as we talk about allyship, we talk about sponsorship, I think that you have to first and foremost, before you expect someone to give to you, you have to have a vision for yourself. And that's a personal vision as well as a professional vision. And I think that, um, you know, sitting across the table from anyone, you have to be willing to give a little bit of yourself for anybody to help you. So that really goes to asking those questions. The other thing I would say is that mentorship or sponsorship doesn't always come from, many people think obviously it's either a boss 
or even a colleague within your organization. And in fact, what I have found in my last 20 years is that my best mentors or sponsors um, happen to either be those that are board members that can teach me a different way of thinking towards achieving a goal because of industries that they have served in, or uh, finding other individuals who perhaps I admire as to how they have balanced uh, what is important to me, both professionally and personally. So those are probably my, um, as I think about this and the questions of, well, what questions do you ask? I think the first thing you have to think about is what is the vision you have for yourself? And you have to be able to be authentic and be willing to really share that in order to um, really seek, I think, counsel. That's great advice. Michelle, how about you? I think it's a lot of what Jonna said earlier, um, being very transparent when you are seeking a sponsor, um, having those discussions, asking what are my strengths, what are my opportunities as you see them, because sometimes we always can't identify what those are, but other people are watching from afar. Um, one of the things that I tried to do is we, we gravitate a lot of times to people within our own industry, right? Like people, maybe go outside of your industry. There's a lot of things that I personally can learn from leaders outside of health care. And I think if you go outside of your industry, it's a little bit what Debbie was saying. You know, she learns from different board members that are in different industries. There's a lot we can learn. I do think when you're talking to a sponsor or seeking a sponsor, um, really asking what you said earlier, how can I help the organization achieve its goals and its mission? What are the goals? Making sure you know what the organizational goals are so that you can contribute. And lastly, it's um, what I've done over my career is seek opportunities to get out of your comfort zone. That's the only way that I grow if I take on projects or initiatives that really make me nervous, right? Because then I know I'm growing. Um, so getting out of your comfort zone with your sponsor, seeking opportunities that'll stretch you and allow you to grow. Yeah, and I think that's why, you know, being involved in the chamber is, you know, a great opportunity too, because you get to meet women from a lot of different industries. Deborah, how about you? Yeah, every, what everybody said is great, and I'll just piggyback on what Michelle said, which is sponsors come in so many different forms. And to really then dig deep into yourself, just like Debbie said, and think about what, what are you trying to get for yourself? What, what are your career aspirations? What are you trying to look for? And like what Michelle said is, those sponsors can come in different places. You can say, I wanna go volunteer. I wanna get this type of experience. I wanna be able to raise my hand and create this opportunity. And maybe that sponsor looks and has that different type of opportunity. Maybe it's in organization, maybe it's outside of your organization, maybe it's in your chain of command, maybe it's not. And to be really thoughtful with respect to how you seek them out and be thoughtful about what you want to get out of it. And then never forget that those are really two-way streets, right? Just because you're asking something of somebody doesn't mean that you can't always give back to that person either. Right? How can you also help that person who you're asking help from them? Um, and just to make sure that that relationship can go both ways. And Liz, how about you? Um, so I think uh, just to add on to some of that is that 
you know, um, one of the big, there are differences between mentors and sponsors. And I think the best way to sum it up is that a mentor talks to you, a sponsor talks about you when you're not in the room. When you're not in the room. Very well said. All right, I'm going to stick with you for a second, Liz, and then I'm going to have each of you share how a sponsor has helped you in your career, and if you could just share um, an, an opportunity or an example of that. Yeah, I think it's throughout my career when I look back, there have been a lot of them, but the one I remember the most or uh, left a lot of impressions on me on how to sponsor, and I didn't realize it until afterwards. So I did my postdoc in a lab in London, <clears throat> Mecca in my field, I thought I'd never get there because I didn't go to the Ivies, et cetera. And I'm a little, uh, a little mentoring here. My father said to me when I was talking to him, the last thing my parents wanted me to do was to move to London. And, uh, but he said, Elizabeth, they can say yes and they can say no, but if you don't ask, you'll never get it. So I asked and I got it. So anyway, the man who was head of the lab was my mentor and my sponsor, and he did a number of things. But the one thing I, you know, so many of them, but the one I remember is we were, we would go to the big meetings. And, you know, I was still a postdoc, just getting known, you know, in the field. And the field was dominant. I'm a radiation biologist and experimental pathologist dominated by men. And I'd be at my, we'd be at a reception. And he would, he'd come over to me and he'd say, come along, Liz, I want you to meet so-and-so. He knew everybody, you know, and he'd take you over there and you'd be quaking in your boots thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to talk to this, you know, to this person who is, you know, he's the leader of the field and everything. But what he was doing was he was vouching for me. He was putting his imprimatur on me. He was a man that everybody knew and respected. And by him taking me over there, introducing me to, you know, a very, very senior person, he was saying, I believe in this, this young woman. I believe she is going to do well. And that's one way, a uh, very active sponsorship is active. That's the one I remember. Thanks. That's a great example. Um, Debbie, how about you? Yeah, I think this goes in the category of um, being involved in, in, in terms of providing leadership. Um, and so, uh, one of my greatest sponsors who happens to be sitting in this room today, again, I met, um, and some of you who live in this community know what leadership Montgomery County is, or perhaps you're familiar with leadership Houston. Um, I sat in the audience and I heard her speaking in her role and I actively sought her out. We made a connection and she was someone who was actively involved in this community. And I have to tell you from the first time I've ever met her throughout the last 20 years, she has worked to advocate for me to help sponsor me and suggest my name to serve on many different community boards. That's above and beyond the professional role that I played. And I think that that's really where you see the, the two merge together. And as someone who lived in this community, and I can say that, um, really understanding uh, our civic responsibility, again, above and beyond what I professionally was passionate about with regard to healthcare, but understanding that living in a community like this, I also played a role uh, on behalf of my family in terms of public education, in terms of um, really the development of um, the surroundings and from an economic development impact. And so it's that individual who says, no, you need to stop. You, you need to be actively involved for all these reasons and really connecting those dots. So I think that's where um, we all have an opportunity. If you pause for a moment in life, and it isn't just all about profession, um, you realize actually those two merge and there's no way that any one of us could do what we do 
if those two lives weren't intertwined, um, to, I think, really become the leaders that we are today. Yeah, I agree. I think all of you are so involved, and, and we see that in the community, and it definitely enriches your leadership. Um, Deborah, how about you? Uh, so one thing I, first of all, I love Gina, and she is amazing. And, but my career hasn't always been similar to hers because I love when she talks about that she is in her dream job. And I didn't necessarily have that, I want to do this, right? And, and, and I didn't have that, this is exactly what I'm going for, and this is exactly my dream job, and I knew exactly what I was going after. And that's one of the things I love most about her is because she has that sense of purpose. And I needed my sponsor to be able to see something in me in terms of saying, I know that you'll be good at this. And to be able to take what that person saw in me and to be able to say, I know that you can do this. And I had that, and I just remember that day so specifically when I said, well, I don't know how to do that. And that came out of my mouth, and I just wish I could have just done that because I'm like, why did I say that out loud? And my sponsor said, don't ever say that out loud again because you do not basically talk down about yourself. Of course you can do that and don't ever say that. And I really needed somebody to believe in myself that I can do something that I've never done before, to be able to see in me, to be able to do a job that I really wasn't sure that I could do. And I loved that and I need, that's what I needed from my sponsor to be able to then look out for me in a way that I wasn't doing for myself. And I didn't have necessarily that perfect goal in front of me. Um, so that's, that was the, what my sponsor did for me, and I'm forever thankful for that. That's a great story. Michelle, how about you? Very similar. Um, you know, as a woman of color in the healthcare industry, there's not very many of us at the table. And early in my career, I had sponsors um, that told me, you know, when you decide that you deserve that seat at the table and that you're just as competent as anyone else in the room, that confidence is going to reflect and then people will know that you're in the room and you have a voice. And I had to find my voice. You know, a lot of times, like I said, I'm the only person of color and sometimes the only woman in the room. And to be perfectly honest, um, that was intimidating. But when I had, you know, my sponsors push me, just they saw things in me to say, you're confident, you're smart, you're competent in your job, but you need to think you belong there. And it's about inclusivity and belonging and people sponsoring you for you to understand that you are in the room for a reason. And um, I think that's really when I became comfortable with myself and really started contributing more. It allowed me to have a voice. That's great. Gina, how about you? Thank you. So, so Deborah and I have a, a mutual sponsor and we didn't even know each other. And he told us, you really need to know Deborah Gordon. You really need to know her. And we connected on LinkedIn, had no idea who each other were. And we kind of connected there and fell in love with each other. And then finally we get to sit, this is kind of a big deal. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to serve so on the panel with you. But my, so that's one example because Deborah and I are, even though technically you might think that we would be competitors in the healthcare industry, there's plenty of ways that all of us can collaborate to improve the healthcare for our community. But another example of what a sponsor did for me was in a professional organization Ours is the American College of Healthcare Executives, and this person, you know, said my name, just like Liz said, for um, 
to be an officer locally and even nationally. So that's given me lots of exposure. It's given me the opportunity to have job offers, to attend things, to contribute on articles, all kinds of different things that were really meaningful in my personal uh, career, added to my resume, and, and I think really helped me move along. So I think that's my example. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. I actually, so I'm good friends with somebody that you're mentoring, and when I mentioned that to you, you said, well, this person's mentoring me too, which is really great. Um, so, you know, thinking about, especially this time of year, you know, a lot of companies are getting ready to go through their performance evaluations. Um, what are tips that you can prepare, that you can share to help women prepare for those performance evaluations and how to talk about themselves? Deborah, I'll start with you. So, my feelings about this have changed and evolved over time. Um, I was once told um, by somebody who I really respect that feedback is a gift. And I'd always sort of prepared myself to be like, oh, I want feedback, I love feedback, and feedback's really important. But I, over the past couple of years, I think I've evolved a little bit, and I've seen some really good articles come out, and there was one that came out actually in the Harvard Business Review that for women in particular, that, that, that feedback maybe isn't the best thing. And just seeking feedback, especially feedback that's backwards looking, can sometimes be very harmful. And for women in particular, especially getting feedback can be very vague, um, can sometimes for women not be very tied to business objectives, and can sometimes actually be somewhat harmful. And it kind of blew my mind to think about it that way. And instead, some of the kind of like more modern thinking is instead think about getting more forward-looking advice. So to say, oh, how, for, for this type of presentation, how could I have done that better? Or for this project, what advice do you have for me with respect to what could, have, what could I do going forward that could make that improve? And that way you're getting something more tangible or more actionable that you can apply something going forward. And it's not something that's perhaps vague or something that you don't really know or that's backwards looking. And, and it's really, and I'm trying to sort of uh, think through and apply this a little bit better because I think that is something that I'm trying to do to really maybe help people that, uh, that report to me to try to say what is something that people can apply and that is something that is more advice-driven that somebody can take and actually apply going forward as, some, as opposed to something that's more backwards-looking. Um, maybe that's something that people can't necessarily do something about. Um, and I also think that one of the things in performance evaluations that I'm not loving is that there are these points in time. And I'm really trying to get away from this idea that you're only getting these areas of feedback once a year, right? When it really should be these constant things that are happening, whether it's a meeting or whether it's a project, and we really shouldn't be having these sort of once a year or once a quarter types of things. So I really think there's an evolution for this, and it really should be these constant areas of uh, these loops that we're getting, anyway. So Those are my thoughts. on the receiving end, you want, you know, you might ask that person to be specific and think about actionable things. Yeah, so in, in, if there was a meeting or there was a project, say, uh, what is your advice with respect to what could have gone better? So for the next time we do this, what would be your advice with respect to how could we have improved this project for the next time? Great. Debbie, how about you? 
Well, I was, I'm so glad that you made the comments that you did, that it should be more um, of a continuous, because what I would say is um, I don't think that performance evaluations once a year is the only time you should be seeking um, guidance on or input as to um, how we could do things better. And I certainly um, subscribe, and anyone who's worked with me, and I know I've got a whole table over there that's going to laugh, um, we're going to say it like it is, and we're going to live in the moment. And we're going to evaluate those projects, and we're going to give the direct um, uh, feedback uh, at that moment. So if we're only waiting for the end of the year, and you're shocked and amazed about the good, and that's the only time you're going to hear the good, or you're shocked and amazed about the opportunities, that's a problem to me. That's a real big problem. And so um, I expect the same. And I'll just share with you, in my last uh, 20 years as an executive, um, I don't think I've ever had a boss, for better or for worse, that has sat down and waited for that once a year. And they haven't because, just to your point, when, when I'm done with a project, I'm seeking counsel and saying, so what did you think? How did it go? How could we have done it better? What do you think about this? Um, and then move on and go to the next thing because then you can take that constructive feedback to do better. And so um, that's, I, I very much subscribe to that and would support, obviously, the continual dialogue. Michelle? So I would encourage not to wait until that 12-month mark to try to recap what have I done for the last 12 months, right? So keeping a journal along the way um, of projects, initiatives you worked on. And then in the performance evaluation, don't just wait for the feedback, but don't be afraid to talk about your accomplishments. I think a lot of times compared to our male counterparts, we're a little shy or hesitant to talk about or tout our accomplishments. And I think you can do that in a very humble way, you know, um, not braggadocious, but in a humble way so that you can let people know what you have accomplished, because you can't assume that they've been along your journey over the last 12 months and they know everything that you've done. So don't be afraid, again, to have a voice, talk about your accomplishments, as well as talk about some opportunities where you saw where things may not have gone as well and that you're self-aware and that, you know, you have emotional intelligence to know and have the conversation. This may not have gone, you know, the way everyone expected, but I learned from it, and these are the lessons that I've learned. So talking about lessons learned in your performance evaluation and your accomplishment and taking a very balanced approach. I had a boss tell me recently, you better take the credit because you'll definitely take the blame. So you have to learn to really talk about the things that you've, been, that you've accomplished. Gina, how about you? I, I agree with what Michelle said. I definitely keep up through the year with what I've done. I spend about two to three hours on my self-evaluation if you have that tool as part of your evaluation. It sounds like a long time and time investment, but it, it helps me feel like, wow, I've done all these great things. Also, it helps just um, building your resume, building your interview stories. You know, you're gonna be asked, tell me about a time when this or that. This is a, all you have to do is pull out your old self-evaluations. I ask for feedback, not only to who I report to, who I work with directly, and then who also reports to me. 
coaching takes courage, and I usually start with that. It takes courage to give someone coaching. What can you coach me on? I say that all the time. The people that work with me are aware of that, and I do get really good feedback. I'll give you one more little nugget. Not every piece of feedback you get is good. Uh, One time when I asked this question, someone said, well, you really want to be a hospital CEO. Um, You should straighten your hair, and you can see, obviously, that I did not take that feedback. So... Uh, just take everything with a grain of salt, I would say. No, you should not. Thank you. Your hair's fabulous. Um, so, Gina, we're going to stick with you. And just if you can share, you know, something that you wish that you had known or paid more attention to, not straightening hair, um, when you began your career and mapping out your career goals. Just don't sweat the small stuff. I, especially young and coming up, I was trying to do everything and be everything and be perfect. And, you know, we're all human. And uh, good things will come to you. You just, you just keep trying, really, is what I should have remembered. Michelle. Do not stress as much. I would tell my younger self, don't stress. It's all going to work out. Keep working hard. Um, I had a pastor one time tell me, blossom where you are planted, right? Focus on what you're doing now, the job you're doing now. Don't worry so much about the future. If you blossom where you're planted, where God has you planted, everything will work out. I would really focus on how much the authentic leadership has really been of value to me, right? Being able to really be myself and to be able to really be a good person, right? I tell my kids that, right? Just focus on being a really good person and treat others the way you'd want to be treated, right? Be a really genuinely nice person and good things will happen. Um, And it sounds so simple, but you would be really amazed at how many people you work with and come along the way who just aren't really that nice. And you'd be like, I, I, nope, nobody wants to work with a jerk. So you would be amazed. <laughs> and, and, and yet they do somehow succeed. So if you go in, work really hard, do a good job, and you're just authentically a good, nice person, that gives you a tremendous edge. And it's, it should be so obvious. But you can go in, and I think that is an incredibly differentiator in the workplace. I often say you have to take care of you in order to take care of everyone else. That means being mentally fit, physically fit, nutritionally fit in every single way. Um, And that is, and you just heard previously with the opening session, I'm 100% believer. It's, It's more work than you can imagine. And that's so you can give of yourself the energy and the enthusiasm. My second component is um, you have to stay passionate. What gets us up every day to do really hard jobs um, is because you're passionate. And so uh, that's true with, with all of those things in life. And then I say that the other thing that I'll just leave you with is everything that you do has a purpose and it's your job to connect those dots and there is no wrong job. Um, so if you marry those three things together, I think um, it's your define of success, and that's all that matters. So what I would say is cut yourself some slack because we're all going to make mistakes. There are things that are not going to happen that you want to happen. I've had you know, papers not reviewed, you know, grants that don't get funded. And so you know, that's just life. But you know, pick yourself up. 
it's not the end of the world. And you know, look at, okay, if it's a, you know, if it's a grant, for example, something you get a bad report, you look at it and you say, okay, how do I fix this? You know, throw it in the drawer and say ugly things about who you think you know, said this about you or wrote this about you. Get it out, look at it, and pick it up again and go forward with it. So cut yourself some slack and always have grace. I think one of the things we don't a lot uh, do is we don't give grace. We don't cut other people's slack as well. Remember that people have other things in their lives that may be interfering with how they're performing at work. Cut them some grace. So I just want to thank you all for holding together our community during the pandemic, and we're going to wrap up here, And but Dr. Travis wants to share a little bit about why we started the allyship program and why it's so important. Yeah, so uh, you've, sponsorship is one, only one strategy in, in, the allyship pro, in the allyship process. There are many different things you can do. But the chamber started this and then COVID hit, but this chamber has picked this up again. And the statistics you know, that I briefly told you about holds true across industries. We hope the initiative here will inspire everyone to develop an allyship program in your organization. We're creating at the chamber a measurement template that we are happy to share with you and anyone who wants to participate. So let's make Houston the leader in this initiative. So thank you all very much. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you again next Thursday at 6 p.m.